Uh, last Sunday night, I shared the story of me kind of working through the book of, of Esther and realizing how God is providentially in charge of, of all things. And uh, I was driving, listening to a, a sermon based uh, or a lecture on uh, from Old Testament professor Al Mosley talking about the book of Esther and how God is providentially caring for us. And um, he was sharing Esther's story. And at that moment, I had a flat tire, and that uh, flat tire. Um, in the middle of nowhere, how is this going to happen? And then all of a sudden, some guy rolls up in a pickup truck and says, hey, can I help you? And he had a jack and was able to help me. And I was just kind of overwhelmed with emotion, realizing that God really is uh, the one who's in charge of all of our, of our lives. Well, when he was sharing that lecture, he shared a story of uh, a young woman who uh, he preached a sermon at a church and he said, I'm calling you to missions. If you feel like you want to go to missions and uh, I want you to go. It was 1989 when he gave this message and a young lady walked down the aisle and said, I feel God is calling me uh, to the, the Soviet Union. And in his head, he just started chuckling. He just goes, oh, little girl, you don't really know that, that the you know, you know, the Soviet Union is a closed country. You can't go there, right? And um, and after he finished sharing the story, he started kind of getting choked up. He says, my God is so small uh, because within two years, the Soviet Union was no longer. Uh, the walls fell and uh, you were able to go into uh, Russia with, with the gospel. And I, I think, you know, God is always moving and God is always putting us in different situations, but he still takes courage to act on those impulses. Uh, God led this young lady to, to want to go to the Soviet Union. He worked providentially in world powers to, to allow this young lady to go into the country where God is calling her, uh, and yet she still had to go. And we think about the, the first half of, uh, of Esther's story. Uh, Esther chapter 1, Queen Vashti was, was the queen, and she refused to, to, to come to the king. We don't know the reason. Uh, the scripture doesn't give it to us, but because of that, uh, King Esherharis pushed Vashti aside, said that you're no longer going to be queen, I'm going to choose another one. He had to choose, uh, a, a, pick a, a beautiful woman from um, among the, the tribes, and he chose uh, Esther, who was beautiful, but who was also able to be in the city because Mordecai cared for her. So all these things had to happen to bring uh, Esther to that uh, situation. Well, tonight we're going to look at three and four, and just the, I think these are kind of like the three, three, four, and five, I think the, the, the crux of, of this book. Let's begin in chapter three, verse one. This is after these things, King Asaharis promoted Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were with the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. Now Haman was uh, not, a, not a, a good man, as we'll find out through the story in terms of his relationship with the Jews. But obviously he was an efficient leader. Uh, because you don't get promoted to be the second in command uh, under, under the king if you're not good at what you do. Right? He may have been ruthless, but he was probably also very efficient. He was probably a good leader. He probably was able to, to garner support. Not everyone in the Bible that you read that is, a, that is a bad person in terms of morality is a bad leader. Some of the best leaders throughout history have actually been really awful moral people, but they've been excellent leaders. Probably the, the, the common example would be Stalin or, or Hitler. You know, Hitler to come to power in Germany and to lead the German people uh, to follow his will was a tremendous example of leadership, except his, his leadership was directed in immoral ways. If you look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs often talks about how when a, a leader is righteous, that the people 
rejoice, right? And the people thrive. But when the leader is, is immoral or unrighteous, the people languish. But they're still leading, right? Uh, you can't divorce. If you're, in, if you're in leadership as a government or as a, as a uh, manager, you're, you're, you're going to be leading. Whether you're going to lead well or lead poorly. Husbands, you are called to lead your home. You're either going to be lead well or lead, lead poorly. Haman, he may not have been the, the most moral man, but he led well, uh, obviously, because he was in this position. Let's look at verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servant who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. Now remember back to, to the Daniel's life, when Daniel was confronted to bow down before the, the false idols in Babylon, Daniel said, no, I will not bow. They said, Daniel, you cannot pray. So what does he do? Opens the windows and prays, prays louder. He's a, he's a man of courage. So even here, right at the end of that little, the last sentence, it says, for he told them that he was a Jew. There's a reason why I'm not bowing down and pay homage is because I belong to the Lord. Yahweh is my God, and he's the only one I'm going to bow down to. Now, we think about how important this is. Even when we think about Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, how many times did you see calling the church not to bow down or compromise to the government, to, to the emperor of Rome? Do not compromise your faith. Do not compromise your allegiance. Beloved, we are called often to compromise our allegiance to the Lord God. And we have examples throughout scriptures of people who, who chose not to do that, to chose to honor the Lord. And, and some turned out great. Some turned out in earthly, in earthly ways bad. Some were killed. Uh, some lost their lives. Throughout, not just in the scriptures, but throughout church history. Not everyone who stood against evil empires, emperors, or evil rulers survived. Some died. But they did not love their lives more than death. They were in uh, glory. <clears throat> as we see, as, uh, um, martyrdom in the book of Revelation is victory. But Mordecai says, no, I'm not going to bow down uh, to Haman. And you notice what it says, day after day. Now, if you're Haman, Mordecai becomes a thorn in your side. And you're the leader. You're trying to get respect. And I don't know about you, but there are certain times when, when you're disrespected, it affects your moods. So I'm not sure if you ever had this happen to you at work, um, but you have, um, you know, you have a, a supervisor, then you have a, your supervisor's boss. And sometimes your supervisor, instead of send, sending you a direct email, uh, they send you an email that is copied with your boss and almost trying to shame you for not doing your job. That's probably never happened to any of you, but it has happened to me, right? And what happens when you kind of get poked and prodded for not doing your job, there's some kind of anger that rises up in you, right? Mordecai is already day after day here, uh, Haman, day after day hearing about Mordecai not bowing down to him like everybody else is. Now, remember, the higher you get up in the food chain, in, in, a, in a job, in a, in a country, leadership, the more you, you, you command respect. And the more when that respect is challenged, anger ensues. This is what happens with, with Haman. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. 
Think back to the king last week, King Asaharis, when Vashti did not come and greet him. He was enraged. Here, Haman, another leader, when, he, when people come to him, he is enraged with anger. If you are in leadership and people do not submit and bow down to your leadership, anger is not a godly response. Humility and service and patience and long-suffering is. That's the model that our Lord has, right? The Lord, the King of glory, the one who is, is supreme, is patient and long-suffering with us. He gives us time and time and time and time and time and time and time again to come to him, right? And here we see the ungodliness the welling up in the hearts of man. Bow down to me or else. We even see that in that parable that the Lord Jesus shared. Right about the man whose debt was forgiven, and he goes back to a young, or another uh, one who owed him money, and he started choking him out, right, because he wouldn't pay him what he what he owed. We are so far from the Lord. In verse six, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Asaharis. Now let's just. Think about how the, the rationality here. Right? You're mad at one guy. And all of a sudden you find out this one guy is, is part of a certain people group and you want to kill them all. Something is wrong with Haman. Okay? Now, it, 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 it's, it's his pride. Uh, it's, it's he wants to, to spite Mordecai and all the people who are, who are with Mordecai. But he also knows this, is that if Mordecai is, a, is not bowing down because he's a Jew... Therefore, we need to kill all the Jews because they're going to bow, not bow down just like, like Mordecai. Right? They're, they're all grouped together. So if we live as Christians and certain Christians don't do something, we're going to be grouped with all other Christians. You know, so often we, 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 it's hard, this, even this message this morning, this idea of, of wanting to be liked and popularity and not willing to, to say things, you know, we, we need to have a lot more courage. You know, those of you guys who, who've been here on Wednesday night, I've been really encouraged with Rich's boldness. Right when his coworkers say something, Rich just kind of comes back and says exactly what he needs to say. Now he's wise because he's understanding the, the interpersonal dynamics of each worker he's working with, but he doesn't have the courage to speak up. That's been really encouraging me in my own life. Right? Am I willing to, to speak up and share with the people that I encounter? Well, here Haman is out to destroy all the Jews, which is common throughout. Um, the Jewish history of the Jewish people, that people wanted to destroy the Jews. Why? Well, because the Jews represented their relationship with Yahweh. And time and time again, when the, the Jews were attacked, it was a direct uh, attack against the Lord himself. So if you attack God's people, you attack the Lord. We see this in, in Jesus, from the Lord Jesus, when, when he visited Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, Saul wasn't persecuting the Lord, he was persecuting Christians. But the Lord connected his his pursuit against his people to against him. This is why we should be gracious and kind to all the people of God. Because when we persecute each other, we're really going against the Lord. We don't want to have that spirit of, of Haman. Verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Asaharis, they cast, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month for the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Asaharis, There are certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to, it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. 
If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have the charge of the king's business. So they put it into the king's treasury. So the king took the signet ring with his hand and gave it to Haman the Agite and the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you and the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. Now we read this and we're, there's kind of a shock there, right? That, that Haman says, listen, I will put up money, right? So that I can go and destroy all the Jewish people that are kind of dispersed throughout your whole region. Now he's using wisdom as a, as a political uh, politician here. He's saying, listen, they're, they're not going to be a prophet to you. They don't follow your laws. Now, do we know that they don't follow the laws? Well, no, they're not. They're, one man, Mordecai, is not paying homage to Haman. They're not talking about all the other Jews who are not following the laws that are dispersed throughout uh, the whole entire kingdom. Remember, it's India to Ethiopia. This is a large uh, swash of, of land. And we read that and we're horrified. Someone is going to put $10,000 down or 10,000 talents down to, to destroy a whole people. And yet that happens every single day in our country. People go to abortion clinics and they pay money for the destroying of a human being. That happens every single day in our nation. And I, 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 I'm hopeful that God would eradicate that in our nation, but it happens over the world. If you just start researching statistics of how many children have been killed uh, throughout the history each year in, in the world, it is immense. And this is an ethnic cleansing. Genocide is happening today. There are nations where they're trying to take a certain people group and destroy them. I mean, just think about you know the, the war that is raging in the Middle East. I mean, there is, there is hatred towards ethnicity. And it could start with as simple as being offended by one person. Where do these conflicts stem from? We know that we're all created in the image of God, and there's these, we're all connected because we're all one human race. You know, race is a, is a human construct. There is no such thing as multiple races. We use that language, but we're all different ethnicities with one race. Right? We're all one people of God, one human race. We all bleed red, and, and yet there is this, this conflict that, that kind of happens that things I don't understand, they're different from me, or whether it's language or whether it's color, there's this, this, this separation. And when we see that kind of fleshed out, Haman is saying, they're not like us, they need to be destroyed. Right? Now, we may not be like Haman in terms of paying 10,000 talents to have a whole people group destroyed, but... We may have that spirit in us sometimes. They're not like us. They need to be spoken against. They need to be ignored. They need to be shunned. We do not want to have that spirit at all. We want to be a, a church that is welcoming and hospitable. Uh, I was thinking about that even... Uh, uh, my mother-in-law invited us over for uh, a traditional Irish uh, meal for St. Patrick's Day yesterday. And my mother-in-law just kind of embodies hospitality. She's just always opening up her home. Uh, to my family, when they come in town, they stay at her place. It's much, much nicer than ours and better, better set up than we get a break, which is nice. Uh, my sister uh, came in town, and my sister said, hey, would you be okay if had one of my friends stayed with you? And um, it was instead of it was, it was going to be a weekend and turned into three months, you know, just a real hospitable, gracious lady. And when we think about the word hospitable, uh, oftentimes what the church is called to be, it's in the Greek, it's xenophilia. It's a lover of strangers, right? 
We want to be a lover of strangers. And I'm so grateful. That's really, the, the, I think, the reputation our church has when people come in into our body. They feel loved, right? They may not stick around. They may get really weirded out when we hold hands at the end of the service, right? Uh, or uh, we, they, they may not come back because of the greeting time, or they may come right after the greeting time from here on out. But they feel welcome. They feel the love of this place. And that is a, is a good picture. You know, I think more and more I hear that happening amongst our body is people having people each other into each other's homes and building relationships, breaking bread and, and, and sharing that time around a table. I mean, I shared this at Miss Lois's funeral every uh, Sunday for the last 20 years. Miss Lois had Sunday dinner at her church at her house. Well, why? Well, because she wanted to bring her family together. She wanted to have time together. She wanted to have laughter together. She wanted to have tears together. When, when the church eats together, we're going to be a lot tighter and a lot closer bound together. So maybe there's people in this congregation that you don't know well, and instead of maybe just kind of maybe, maybe developing maybe bitterness in your heart or maybe just developing neglect and not caring about somebody else in the body because you don't know them, maybe that's a time where you, let's have a meal together. You know, be creative. It could be, hey, listen, we're both going to be at church um, at 9.45 for Sunday school. Why don't we meet, meet for, for breakfast in the cab? Or, hey, let's have dinner after church. Maybe we want to come over one evening. It's a wonderful time to, um, to get to know people. Or you could be like Moses who just came up to me and said, hey, can you buy me dinner tonight? <laughs> That's okay, too. Um, verse 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the people, to every province in its own script, every people in its own language. You can just kind of see the, the vastness of this decree. It was written in the name of King Esaharis and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces and with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to alienate all Jews, young and old. Women and children in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by the proclamation to all the people to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. It's interesting. This decree goes out, and they want to slaughter every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, or, and it says, annihilate them and take all their goods. And what did the king and Haman do? They drank to it. They celebrated the death of the Jews. Now, there are Jews scattered throughout the providence. They, they, they would have heard this in the, in the capital of Susa when, where the command went out. It says they were thrown into confusion, probably because there was many Jews there who, who had to respond to this. You know, you know that during this day in, in the coming month that you were going to be annihilated by all the people of, of the land. This would have been an order from the king. Well, we see what happens. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had, had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping 
and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, as I mentioned last time, the, the, the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, which is one of the reasons why they, they said that they should not have uh, this book in the canon, because God's name is not mentioned. But notice what it says here. It says that the, the people of God, they wept, they lamented, they mourned, they put on sackcloth and ashes. Why? They're crying out to God. It doesn't say they're, they're crying out to God. God's name is not in this book. But we know that they're crying out to God. That's what the picture is. Read throughout, throughout the Bible when, when they put on sackcloth and ashes and they, they had a bitter cry. They're saying, Lord, why? Come, Lord, help. They know that unless the Lord shows up, they are going to face sudden destruction. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? Unless the Lord shows up in our life, that's exactly where we're going to be. And I wonder how often we cry and mourn over our own sin. Cry and mourn over that one sin that we can't seem to get a hold of. I think so often we just don't go to the Lord in, in real, raw emotion, weeping and crying out to God for help. One of the ways I think the world seduces us, as I was trying to get at this morning, is that it numbs us for feeling deeply about our sin. We don't feel the depth of our depravity very much anymore. Usually because we just kind of go on to the next thing, don't we? Life is busy, so we're, we're going about our day, and we may feel a, a twinge of guilt, and then we kind of push it aside to, to go on to the next thing, right? Uh, I think if we didn't have as much going on, we probably would feel things deeper. Our relationship with the Lord would probably would be stronger. But we know that unless the Lord shows up in our lives, we are done for. And that's exactly what he did in sending us Christ. When there was no hope, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were dead, meaning there's no hope, right? If you go to a cemetery and said, wake up, nothing's going to happen unless God does something, okay? That's exactly what happens. Every Sunday morning we, we say, repent, repent of your sins and come to Christ. But unless God shows up, nothing happens. So I just, this is a plea for, for those of you who are our faithful uh, members of the church. Will you pray that God moves? If we don't come to church not prayed up and the people of God are not prayed up, we're not going to see repentance in our church. You know, we should desire the, the baptismal full often. People repenting of their sins and growing in Christ. Now we know that, you know, Gary and I were talking about this today, that most growth doesn't happen immediately. Most growth is slow. It's slow in our own life, and it's slow in, in our body life. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't cry out to God to come. Because unless God comes to, that, to the visitor we had here this morning with her grandson, unless God shows up in her life, we're done for. God has to show up. He is the one who brings salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's exactly what the book of Esther is about. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There has been a decree sent out through the entire empire that says all Jews will be annihilated unless the Lord shows up. Verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, 
You know, I find it interesting when, when I read, the, you know, the, the Old Testament narratives, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, Ruth and um, Esther. There's a lot of parallels there. We think about when Nehemiah heard that the walls were broken down. He was distressed. Esther finds out, Queen Esther finds out that um, the, this, this decree was went out and she is deeply distressed. There's just these pictures, right? That unless we are burdened with the situation of lostness as a people, nothing really will change. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. When Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her the command and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hasak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Now, she's deeply distressed. Mordecai, and remember, Mordecai is, took in Esther when she was an orphan. Right? She lost both her parents, and Mordecai treated her like a daughter. And this man that she loves, who, who cared for her and loved her, says, this is what's going to happen. Will you plead with the king? Would you beg him not to do this? All the emotion that's going to happen with Esther. Now remember the backstory, Chapter 1. Queen Vashti. And when Queen Vashti did not come, she was exiled, right? Now, we don't know if she was killed. She, she may have been. She was put out. But we know now that if anyone comes to the king, like Queen, uh, comes to the king without being requested, or doesn't come to the king, they're going to be executed. This is a real serious deal. And I think that Esther's first response is probably the first response of all of us. It's self-preservation. What about me? Do you understand what you're asking me to do? I mean, isn't that the first thing when, when, when someone calls you to do something? The first question is, do you realize what you're really asking me to do and to sacrifice and to give up? It said, then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. Listen, I, I'm sorry, Mordecai. If I go in, I might die. How can you expect me to do that? I have not been called in for 30 days. There is but one law. Anybody who goes before the king is going to die. Do you realize what you're asking me? Now, think about what I said last week. God is working all this out to place Esther, a Jew, as the queen of this empire. God is working this out. You can't, you can't manufacture all the things that would have to work, right, to put 
Esther right in that situation. And Esther is right in that situation, and she's frozen. She's frozen with fear. She's, she's frozen with the fear of, of losing her own life. And how many times are we like Esther? We know that God has placed us exactly where he wants us, in our jobs, among our friends, uh, in certain families, in certain churches. And, and God is calling you to do something, and the first thing that we do is, what about me? Do you realize what you're asking me to do? If I speak up, I'm going to be shunned. If I, if, if, if I, if I do that, I'm going to lose an opportunity for a promotion. Do you realize what you're asking me to do? And we step back and say, God knows everything. God knows the end from the beginning. God knows all of our days. God knows exactly what's going to happen to you. God knows whether you're going to have cancer. God is not surprised. Now, I didn't have time to dig it out this morning, but if, if you notice that when the beast and the beast and the ten kings go against the woman and, and destroy her, evil attacks evil, but it says that this was to happen so the, the word of God, God's word would be fulfilled, nothing happens in this life that doesn't first pass through the Lord's hands. Now, that may be a hard truth to understand, but everything that happens in our lives is, 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 is allowed to happen by the Lord. And God will use all things in this life for our good. doesn't mean that all things are good. There are bad, evil things in our day, but God will use them for our good, to refine us, to purify us, so we can bear more fruit for his, for his name. I don't know about you, but I'm sure Esther was thinking, I don't want this role. I did not ask for this. How many times has God asked you to do something and you're just saying, I haven't asked for this. I don't want to do it. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Now remember, all this, we read it, it's just a story, right? This is not just a story. This is real history. This is a real man, Mordecai, who he used to go every day to the king's gate to check on Esther. How's Esther doing? How's Esther doing? Now, there's some of you here that I haven't even known for a year, and I love you, right? Like there's a relationship that happens quickly over time, and I, I'm still getting to know you. Now, Esther uh, was raised by Mordecai, and Mordecai went every day just to find out about Esther. His life revolved around Esther. So hear these words of a man who is, is deeply grieved of all that's going to happen to the Jewish people, and one that he loves. He says this, Do not think to yourself that in, in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, <laughs> relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai was confident. God will deliver his people. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's people. No matter what you throw at God's people, nothing will overcome them. Because the Lamb will conquer. God has made a promise and he's always faithful to his word. He's just saying to Esther, God is giving you the chance. He's giving you the opportunity to step up and be God's hand of deliverance. But if you don't, your fate will probably be like the rest of the Jews. But God will bring deliverance from another place.
Don't you see how kind God is to Esther here? And how kind God is to us, giving us opportunities to, to be his hands and feet. You know, God, there are people in your lives right now that God wants you to be the hands and feet of deliverance for that person. Whether it's financial, probably primarily more spiritual. God has placed people in your life that you can be the, the tool that God uses to bring people to repentance and faith so they can have eternity with the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And there's some of us who have forsaken that opportunity with our silence. And if you keep silent, God will raise somebody else up. God will still save, because that's what God does. <laughs> when God calls... When God chooses, no one can resist. God is, is that powerful. He raises the dead. He puts a new, gives us a new heart, and we desire to follow God. Right? Now, we know that, that how we experience salvation, we say, yes, I made the decision, but looking back, we know that the only way that we were able to make that decision was because of the Lord's gracious hand in our, in our lives. He gives us the opportunity. I remember... Uh, reading a, a story in, a, in an evangelism book, and um, the guy was saying, you know, uh, he's been praying for one of his coworkers for years, praying and praying that his coworker would come to Christ. And one day he he came in and said, you know, you know, hey, I, I'm a Christian. I, I gave my life to, to Christ, and uh, I, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. And and the man says, yes, I've been praying for you for the last five years. And he looked at him and goes, then why didn't you tell me the gospel? Why didn't you share the gospel with me? I wish, I wish I knew the gospel earlier than I did. I would have avoided much heartache and much sin. Don't be silent. God will save, but is giving you, beloved, the opportunity to be like Queen Esther, to speak. It says this, If you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And who knows, Esther, maybe God in his kindness brought you to this place exactly for this moment. I remember when I went to my last job, two jobs ago, I got hired from the, the Youth Learning Institute. I got hired to be a camp director at uh, Camp uh, Long. And uh, I was going to be the director of a, of a day school, an alternative school, and had some history as a background as a teacher. So I got there, and my first day, I, I walked into to a colleague's office who uh, was going to be was a counselor on, on the site, and his business card said, uh, Aaron, director of the day school. That's curious. I thought I was hired to be the director of the day school. Uh, well, it, it turned out that although they hired me for that, that wasn't my role. I ended up being really just a, a, a guy to tr transfer people. I would pick kids up at 7 o'clock in the morning, or leave 7 o'clock in the morning, go pick kids up, drive them to, to school, and I would come back and do the same thing in the afternoon. Really, I was just kind of like a babysitter all day long, right? And I'm like, I left Washington, D.C., and the job I had there to come down here and be a babysitter. This is ridiculous. Um, 
So I'm there, and I'm struggling with this, praying to the Lord, you know, what, is he, what are you doing in my life, Lord? Why are you doing this? And one of the guys I worked with was a guy named Josh. And uh, we would, you know, he would ride with me sometimes, and we would talk about the Lord. And he was kind of struggling with his faith. He didn't really know wh- where he was at. And, you know, uh, one day he jumped with the car. He might as well ride, ride with you. So we, we took, took the kids off. And afterward, he, he, uh, we just kind of talked. And he's kind of unloaded of his sin. And I had a chance to, to really walk him through the gospel in that moment, he repented and believed, right? Um, two days later, I was transferred. And I just think, you know, Lord knew Josh needed to be saved. So God took a little detour in my life and said, I want to plant you here. You're going to be unhappy for a season, but I want you to, to witness for my name. I want you to bring someone to Christ, and then I want you to go over here. We have no idea what the Lord's doing. But maybe, maybe God brought me there for a time such as that. Maybe God has brought you to where you are today for a time such as this, just as Esther is. Then Esther told them uh, to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish... I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? See, she didn't trust in herself. She said, cry out to God for three days. Cry out to God and fast. Give up your, of your food. You know, I think back how, how encouraged I was um, really, you know, Rich kind of gave the example and the encouragement when um, when Irina went to uh, Ukraine uh, to go minister to her brother. And he said, you know what, we, we need to fast as a church. And everyone fasted. And I don't know if any of you, you who did that, but the, the days I fasted and just prayed for Vitaly's salvation and for, for Irina, there was some power there. And I think that's what God's saying here. He's saying, listen, fast and and pray and seek my face. Give of this world. You know, if you've never fasted, uh, you know what happens when you fast? You're hungry. <laughs> You're just hungry. But what the hunger pains do is they force you to go to God for sustenance. They, they force you to go to God for help. And I think God in His kindness wants to answer those kind of prayers. But He may not. Why not the Lord? The Lord Jesus was in the garden, sweating drops of blood. said, Lord, is there another way? Will you let this cup pass from me? But not my will. Your will be done. Esther, going to the Lord, Lord God, please let me live. But if I perish, I perish. I pray that when God puts us in certain places by his providence that we would have courage to be faithful and trust the Lord. Father, I pray for our congregation that we would be courageous knowing that you place us in certain jobs, certain families, at certain times so that we could be your hands and feet. God, help us have the courage not to be silent, but help us be used by you to help deliver those unto salvation.
And God, we pray that we would have the courage of Esther, that we could say, if I perish, I perish, yet I will trust the Lord. God, help us make, a, make us a people who are courageous in the face of fear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.